Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Emily Atami is the author of Fault Lines, a novel. Emily grew up in Tokyo and returned there to live when her children were young. She now lives in London. She has been published widely as freelance journalist and travel writer. This is her first novel. But by the way, I'm sure this will not be her last. And if I were picking stocks on authors, I would pick Emily's as one to watch. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Fault Lines. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. I loved your novel. It was so great. There are so many things I liked about it. In fact, so many of the things that I sort of in the back of my head say are like the things you should do to make a novel really good. You know, like every opening sentence of a pair of a chapter, like was completely attention grabbing. The chapters weren't too long. Uh, you get totally invested in the characters. It has a strong sense of place, like check, 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 check. You know, it had like all, it checked all the boxes. So anyway, it was great. Just wanted you to know that. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's really kind of you. That makes me really happy. <laughs> so why don't you tell listeners a bit about what Fault Lines is about and then what inspired you to write it? So Fault Lines is the story of Mizuki, who is a Japanese uh, housewife living in Tokyo. And she appears to have like a really lovely, perfect life. She's got a nice, you know, like a good looking husband who works really hard and two beautiful kids and everything. And she is strangely dissatisfied despite this wonderful setup. And she finds herself falling into a friendship with a restaurateur that she meets. And it's kind of the unfolding of that relationship and how she kind of finds herself thinking about her identity and her life through the series of events that occur because she meets this man. And the reason that I decided to write it was, I mean, I suppose, obviously there wasn't, not, not, maybe not necessarily obviously, there wasn't actually a moment when I thought, I know what I must do, I must write this book. It kind of came in increments. And I was brought up in Tokyo, but I went back to live in Tokyo when my kids were really little. And I found that my life had, you know, changed obviously enormously in the moment that you have children. Of course, you're, well, I found that my identity was totally different. And I found it totally weird the way that the world saw me as a fundamentally different person, even though I kind of felt the same. You know, I'm me, but I have a baby. But into the outside world, I mean, I feel like it kind of starts in hospital when people start referring to you as mum instead of calling you by your name. So that was kind of the beginning of finding that very strange. And to move to Tokyo, Japan is a really traditional society in lots of ways. So there, the 
the difference between people between a woman without children and a mother was was really pronounced so finding myself living in that environment was really fascinating and made me ask a lot of questions about uh, you know identity in general and I suppose female identity and how to be a mother but still keep your sense of being yourself and I also was really loving living back in Tokyo again because that's where I grew up and then I came back to London so going back there you know, in a way, it really felt like coming home. And in another way, I was discovering the city and the country in a completely different way because because of my position of being an adult, being a mother. So it just felt like a really, you know, a, I really wanted to write about Japan and I really wanted to write about motherhood. And it kind of seemed like a really good opportunity to be able to marry those things and talk about all these things that I really wanted to talk about. Wait, so give me the timeline again. So you were born in Tokyo. Uh, no, I was actually, I was born in England, but I moved to Tokyo when we were like eight weeks, when I was like eight weeks old. Okay. Do you yeah. have a twin? Do you have a twin or you just refer to yourself as we? <laughs> yeah, that was like a weird moment where I thought I was the English queen or something. And I just referred to myself as we. That's okay. You're... I meant my family. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. Your family. Okay, so you were a baby and then you lived in Tokyo until you were how old? I lived in Tokyo until I was 11 and then I moved back to England. And then I kind of was back and forth, you know, Tokyo, England, as in just going there for summers or like for a year uh, when I was 18 and things like that, but fundamentally based in in London. And then it was only when my kids were born that I then moved back to Tokyo again for a few years. I don't know. I'm like fascinated with this, like why families go certain places and sort of your whole background. And then were either of your parents originally from Tokyo or? Yeah, my mom is Japanese. Uh, She's not from Tokyo. She's from a small town in Japan. But my parents met in Tokyo and we, I grew up in Tokyo and stuff. Got it. Okay. Amazing. And then when and where did you decide or know that you love to write? Oh, I think that it was really when I was pretty small I was really bossy as a kid and I was always making up like plays and stuff and making other poor children like be in them so I guess that was probably when it first started torturing everyone with my like amazing creativity and then I kept diaries all the time when I was a teenager which is really terrible because I just found them recently and that was a horrific experience but fascinating (laughs) So I feel like it's always, always been a thing. And a lot of my work when I was, when I first left university was to do with writing and stuff. It was either in journalism or working in publishing and things like that. So I guess it's always been part of what what I do. Excellent. And so what do you do in those, in those jobs? We are going to talk about your book. I don't know. I'm like giving you a job interview. I'm sorry. I'm- <laughs> no, no, not as in the jobs that I had after university. Yeah. Like what do you do? Did you um, major in English or... No, I actually did theology, which I really loved and was like fascinating. I had such a good time doing it. Um, And then I worked for the Rough Guide for a little while. So I got to travel and write, which is just the best thing. I had a job working in the foreign rights department of a literary agency, but I was just kind of at the very, very beginning of that and then um, got offered this job to go traveling. I was, I think I was, sorry, I was still in the kind of, what do you call it? You know, the period where you you you're, you can leave or not leave you know the, uh, the job um I feel like I have to say that because you know in the job interview kind of feeling of it I felt like I had to justify my decision that's okay it's okay travel, which, <laughs> you're still um, in the so, running <laughs> yeah. so then I got offered yeah to go you know write about Italy that was the first job that I got offered for the rough guide so I was like wow so this somewhere I could be sitting in you know like Sicily writing about that instead of being in an office so I decided to go and do that yeah, and um that it was good. amazing yeah it was really really good and I also worked quite a lot for magazines doing you know like uh, lifestyle interviews and stuff and interviewing people which is like my favorite thing because you just maybe this is not how you see it but I was like I just get to ask questions and be nosy and then that's my job this is amazing <laughs> yeah don't tell anyone yeah. that's exactly what I do <laughs> it's like, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. <laughs> okay. And then when did you start writing in this, this novel or long, long, is this the first attempt at a novel? Do you have like three in a drawer? Like, tell me. Yeah, I have some, I have like a, a failed novel or two in a drawer. I mean, I wouldn't even say they were failed, right? They were just, Practice they were just ends. the early attempts. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then this one I started, uh, I actually started it after we got back to the UK from living in Japan. Because I, for me anyway, I feel like I have a clear, or maybe it's not entirely accurate, but easier to write about picture of a place when I'm not in it. So, you mm-hmm. know, like always being between Tokyo and London, I have strong feelings about the place that I'm not in yep. rather than, you know, the one that I'm living in at the time. Got it. So when I got back that I wanted to write about Tokyo. So I started it then. And how old are your kids? And then I promise we will talk about this book. <laughs> no, I, this is good. Um, my kids are nine and seven right now. Excellent. <laughs> I have I have almost nine and almost seven with my little kids. And then I have twins who are almost 15. Anyway, uh, well, not almost, 14 and a half. Okay, so let's talk about your characters and the sort of motherhood malaise that plays. (laughs) How do you pronounce her name again? Matt? Mizuki. Mizuki. So a few lines that jumped right out at me. You said, maybe this was when it began, on the Tuesday night when I was thinking of jumping off the balcony while Tatsuya checked work emails on his phone. I mean, what a great line. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry for the Matsuki, but the tears were another sign that things in my marriage were somewhat awry. Always a good sign. Is it normal to fluctuate so quickly between feeling tender toward your husband and fervently wishing him a violent death? <laughs> another <laughs> great one. And then just like to sum up sort of the crux of many of her feelings, you said, you know, after you're describing her, you know, why should she be upset? She's got this beautiful apartment and everything's going well. She said, I know it. And I know how lucky I am. I know that any kind of whining is one major first world sulk. From now on, I'm going to be happy, shut up about all my demons and make everyone around me smile. I'm going to devote my, devote my whole life, all my energy to it because it's the only acceptable thing under the circumstances. But of course, it's easier said than done. (laughs) (laughs) So this whole notion of on the outside things looking fine, but on the inside having a lot of unhappiness or dissatisfaction or whatever is so common. And it always like, I, I feel like people beat themselves up so much about it when they think like, well, I have no right to feel this way. Like, how could I? And whatever. And that doesn't stop it. So just take me into that frame of mind and how she's really thinking and feeling about it. Well, I think that, again, I think that the Japan thing was a catalyst for what her character was like, because in Japan, I mean, Tokyo in particular, it looks so perfect. It looks so perfect. You know, everyone is so immaculately dressed and everything functions so beautifully and everywhere that you go is so gorgeous to look at. And it kind of, I feel like it's a really heightened version of I mean, I wouldn't quite say it was like living in social media the whole time, but you know, that kind of thing, that it looks insanely gorgeous. And I suppose that in that instance, I was looking at, at those, you know, women who who looked so amazing and so well put together and whose children appeared never to scream and everything, um, playing sort of really neatly in the sandbox. And my children would be doing, you know, like average kid things, like throwing themselves around and like being covered in food and stuff like that. And be thinking, I, I can't really believe that people can be having that the insides of their heads could be so different from the insides of 
what we know of people, you know, just from our like friends to talk to and stuff. So I guess I kind of started thinking about that. And so I was imagining what Mizuki might be like as I was looking at all these very perfect people all around me. And I think that Mizuki herself, she has a particular disconnect because she had gone, she's gone off to the States for a little while. So she's kind of aware that there is another way of doing things. And I think that that's always a difficulty to some degree that if you accept that this is, you know, because it's certainly not, I wouldn't want to give the impression that I'm saying that Japanese society is so um, closed and it's much better to do it in a different way and all women are unhappy there. I mean, that's not the case at all. It's just that it's it's such a different way of doing things, you know. So once she sees that in the West, there's another way, I think that whatever way it is that you're doing, if if you're aware that there's another option, it it kind of boggles your mind more. Not that it's a bad thing necessarily, but it can make you massively question all the things that are going on in your life that before you might have taken for granted, right? Because, I mean, there is without a doubt, a value in people who, people having their place. That's kind of the way that the whole Japanese society functions so perfectly, you know. I mean, now as women who work, I think that we're probably aware. I constantly think I really need like a really good wife, you know, someone who really takes care of stuff and cooks everything lovely and makes sure all the, there's a reason why it was a good idea to have a wife, right? It just doesn't work out so well. The only thing that you can do maybe is be the wife and that's not what you want to do. <laughs> right. My mother calls my stepfather like, her wife, which... Oh, exactly. Oh, <laughs> she has it that... very well then. <laughs> He's so chill. He's just always like, eh, whatever, you know. Hey, grownups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the cat in the hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. <laughs> but yes, Amazing. I mean, the wifely responsibilities, you know, that it, it shouldn't have anything really to do with marriage, these roles, right? It's actually a job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you think yeah. about it, so. Oh, such a job, right? And, yeah. and if, if you were a nanny or a, or a housekeeper, you'd be getting paid for it. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> An assistant or whatever, you know, there, yeah, it's like exactly. 10 jobs in one, to be honest. It really is. It's extraordinary. Yeah. And yeah. it does just because you're married doesn't mean you're well suited to those jobs at all. No, exactly. And I always think about like a Victorian household where you had like 25 people doing them and suddenly you went to like split them between two of you. Like it's insane. That's true. I don't ever think about it like that, but now I will. (laughs) (laughs) The sweeping long skirts and the parasols and, you know, (laughs) right. that's a nice way to to look at life as opposed to, you know, the chaos in my kitchen with my dishes in the sink this morning and, you know, trying to get everything done. And anyway, Yes, that does sound lovely. And Mizuki says in the book, you know, this whole role of housewife, which has its own like characters, which you show, like it's a thing. It's like a, you know, does she want it or does she not want it? And what do you do when you just somehow inherit it against perhaps your will? What what then? What happens then? 
And if you can't get out of it, that's the thing I suppose that's more difficult in a society that is generally more traditional. Because I believe probably that if in the States or in the UK, you just didn't want to do that anymore, you could do something probably. You could, you know, you could whatever you could retrain you could get a job you could you could change your circumstances I mean not necessarily easily but and I feel I just feel that it would be a lot more difficult in more traditional societies and not to mention that Mizuki says like she should be judged harshly by other moms like she feels like a bad mom all the time and is like showing up with her kid naked and doing all these crazy things like right (laughs) she's like you know if anybody's gonna rationally evaluate her she feels not so great about it anyway so you know even more fodder for perhaps not <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and also i mean the, the 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 way you depict her husband is like it it's it's with a sense of humor at the same time right i mean you're poking so much fun at this man who's sort of like the the prototype of a busy working dad blah 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 but it's like you know it's like you've taken your camera focus and made it extra sharp on him right now so tell me a little bit about developing his character yeah, I feel like it's important. I would need to point out that you know I didn't intend to paint him as the villain. I wanted the, I, I, I I wanted to write a book where everything that happens is not anyone's fault. It's just the situation, and it's I suppose it's the society that's contributed to it. But it just is the situation. You know, he is certainly not a bad father or a bad. But I mean, he, he's he's not a bad husband. He's a very he's a neglectful and husband, but not because he intends to be, just because you know the situation that he's in has made him that way. He works completely crazy hours, and he just doesn't have any time left for his wife. Or I think he has a little bit more for his kids because he's making such an effort. But it's really unsurprising that the relationship is a thing to fall by the wayside, right? I mean, it's totally unsurprising, and I think that that period of time as well, when children are very small. No one's slept. Everyone is, you know, dealing with uh, sort of domestic admin and like toilet training the whole time. It's not very conducive to having like a beautiful romantic relationship at the best of times anyway. And then those are always the times as well, that period of your life when people are trying to, that's when your career has to take off. I mean, it's crazy. If only we could figure out how to either put our careers off until we were 50 or have children at that age, or at least we could just stagger them in some way. Instead, we've got these couple of decades where everything has to happen at once. Everyone's just so insanely squeezed. So I think Tatsu is just a product of that situation. And Mizuki is well aware, you know, that he's not a bad person and that and that they had a really good relationship. I think she just she misses him so much. I feel like maybe she wouldn't even it wouldn't be so bad if she hadn't actually really quite liked him to start with. And she just wishes that he was there again and that they could have the relationship that they had before. And that someone would see her so that she wasn't just an invisible you know, take care of all of the things that need to be looked after in the house and nothing else. And are you married still to the husband, to the father of your kids? <laughs> I am still married okay. to someone who is not like Tatsu. Yes, it's all okay. Just wondering like how your husband feels when you're writing novels about like, you know, throwing your, jumping off of, of a building and wanting to like murder your husband, you know, how he's like, oh, this is good, honey. <laughs> well, every social situation we go to now, he's like, so let's start off by you telling everyone that the book wasn't about us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Poor guy. I'm Too maybe bad. putting him through it. I'm sure he can <laughs> deal with it, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> and now that, you know, obviously you finished this book a little bit ago because now it's come out and blah, blah, blah. So are, have you written anything in the interim? Are you, do you have another book coming out? Like what's your, what are you up to now? What have you been up to since? Yes, I'm doing some more writing. I'm working on another book, which I'm really um, happy to be doing because, you know, that's always a really super fun thing. I think the beginning stages of it are always tricky because you're kind of, for me, it feels like you're feeling around in the dark a little bit 
a little bit still, you know, until it kind of becomes clearer and it's all the different phases of it. So I've been doing that. I mean, I'm, I'm a teacher as well, so I'm also teaching and doing all that jazz. And yeah, you know, just uh, like all the women, as you said, not just the women, all, all people who are very busy. <laughs> yes. Have you ever written a memoir? Have you thought about writing a memoir? No, I feel like I feel not not yet. Let's hope that enough more more and more exciting things. Maybe when I'm like eighty five, I'll think about it. <laughs> and do you, what do you like to read when you're not writing? Oh, everything! Like so many good things. It's been a really good year, actually, hasn't it? There are loads of American authors that I really love, actually. And recently, I've been reading a lot of them. This year, what I've read, I've read like some Catherine Heine, Early Morning Riser. I, I have to read that book. Right? I've had so many people recommend it to me. I have to read it. I have to read it. I'm going to, I have to, okay. I have to write this. Yeah. Write it down. (laughs) It's just like, yeah, it's just such a warm, generous book. I think that's my absolute favorite thing about books when it um, depicts things, you know, with just so much, so much empathy for, for characters. I love it. That was, and also like Lily King, I feel like she has the same kind of empathetic touch. So I've really enjoyed reading Writers and Lovers. I read recently. Nisha Dolan. Have you read Exciting Times? Yes. I read that too. Isn't that no, great? No, I was saying Writers and Lovers is one of my favorite books. Oh, sorry. Yes, I yeah, read Exciting Times. I interviewed her. She's great. Actually, my brother has a production company and his called Black Bear Pictures, and they're making that into a movie. Really? How awesome. That yeah, is really cool. cool. Yeah. And her interview, okay, I've got, I've got to listen to that. That'll be really good. Did <laughs> I say her name right? Is it Nisha? Is it Nut? I don't know. I try not to no, say it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, that's much better. Okay, so that book, we'll just talk about the title, Exciting okay, Times. Yes. That's it. Yeah, it was great, right? I thought that was amazing. It really made me laugh so much, so it was really good. Yeah, and, and you were just saying that you really like uh, Writers and Lovers as well. Has that been out for a while in the States? It has. Yeah, yeah and I just had this anthology I put together called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids, and yeah. Lily King wrote an essay in the book about her own oh. daughter, and it was really pretty. Yeah, anyway. I will be, I will be picking that up then. I'm reading yes. it. So really good. I'm no, not surprised by the authors you like, because I feel like your book falls in that same sort of category of like, you know, the way that Lily King in, writes, it's, it's literary, but it's not off-putting. It's not too heavy-handed, right? It's the writing is fantastic as is yours, but it's not you don't get distracted by the sentences. They're not too like and, and the end result ends up being this great like intimate story and look at into relationships and a person with a slight sense of humor and anyway, I see a lot of parallels, so oh, that's like the best compliment ever, so thanks. <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. So what advice would you have for aspiring authors? Oh my goodness. I feel like I'm um, too green to give advice. <laughs> but if I were to give it, I would say, keep going. Just keep going. I think that is the thing that I found the most, probably the most difficult and definitely the most useful. I mean, I feel like you just get kicked back and you feel like it's not going to work. And that happens over and over and over again. And for me, the only thing that I can do is just decide that it's, if it's what you want to do, you just keep going, regardless of what you think the outcome might be or whatever. You do if, if you love it, you, you just do it, right? I think that's all you can do and not worry about anything else. <laughs> Very true. And how was your experience from the publishing side? Were you, was it what you expected? Like, what do you think worked really well when you were sort of doing the marketing, like getting the word out about your book? Like, what was that all like? Well, I've been really lucky because the people I worked with have, are just amazing. So it's been really, really amazing. Um, and it was also pretty crazy because, you know, that it all happened during the pandemic. 
And I actually got my agent uh, just before the pandemic. And then um, she was kind of sending it out to publishers at the very beginning of the pandemic when it was kind of unclear what was going to happen with publishing. And there was quite a lot of talk that maybe publishing was going to have, you know, they were going to have to halt debuts and stuff because they were kind of waiting until maybe things could open up again. So it kind of didn't look very good. And to be honest, there was a period of time where we were both like, oh, coronavirus probably just killed this book. It's probably not going to happen. So it was the most amazing thing when it did. And it was quite quite weird because, I mean, I've only met my publisher in person a few times because the whole thing's just been such a Zoom relationship. But it's been amazing. And being able to have a few events now, you know, in person here has just been the best thing. When you can talk to people, go to like a literary festival or something, there's like nothing better. I literally was on the high of my life <laughs> being able to do that. So it's amazing. Right? Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's so mm-hmm. awesome. Great. Well, Emily, it was so nice to meet you. Thanks for surviving this job interview interrogation. I'm sorry. This is normally the form my podcast take. I don't know what's up with me this morning, but I really enjoyed getting to know you and I'm very impressed and can't wait to see what's coming next for you. And I thank hope- you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. You bye. too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 